0: Let us bow our heads and pray. Our most gracious Father in heaven, what a joy and privilege it is for us to gather together to worship you this morning. We thank you that you have set apart this day one and seven exclusively for your worship. We thank you that we can come as weary pilgrims living in this world to come together to the fount of living water. Thank you that we can be united together as believers this morning to lift up our praises to you, to come together and pray to you and bring before you our prayers of petition and thanksgiving and prayers of supplication. Thank you, Lord, that as we come before you, we can come With confidence because of Jesus Christ in whom we have placed our faith in whom we place our confidence our great high priest the author and perfecter of our faith and even this season we thank you that we can specifically reflect upon the incarnation how you sent your son Jesus Christ into this world to be born of a virgin to live in this world and to walk on this earth as a common man. Though he created all things, he subjected himself to the creation and ultimately he gave himself up at the cross for our salvation, to atone for our sins, to make a way where there was no other way. We thank you that we have so great a Salvation in Jesus Christ. Of whom you've made us ambassadors and heralds to go and proclaim this good news into the dying world. You send us as salt and light to go and proclaim this gospel, this good news, which is able to save and deliver people from their wicked ways and to bring to life those who are dead, who are dead in their trespasses and sins. We thank you that we have this gospel of life. That we do not preach a doctrine of works and a doctrine of religion. That we, we call people to repentance and faith in Christ alone. Lord, as we are gathered this morning, we know that there are many needs that are represented in our congregation. And of everyone pre- pre- present here this morning... There are many needs, some which are expressed, some which are shared, but others which you alone know, O Lord. And though many a time we may outwardly say we are doing good, we are doing well, Lord, you know the condition of each one's heart and soul here. We are a needy people. We are a weak people. We are a people who live by grace alone. And so we pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us that you would meet us at our point of need that we would lack nothing and that we would share all that we have in common for your glory just as we read in your word as the early church did we pray lord that you would continue to build up this church that this church would be holy that would be reflective of our savior jesus christ that we would love one another love one another that we would bear with one another that we would share with one another and encourage one another in the faith. We are grateful, Lord, for the unity that we have enjoyed as a church, and we do ask and and do not take it for granted that this is by your grace alone. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to strengthen this church, that you would remove from us any seeds of discord or any seeds of disunity that may divide us, but that you would strengthen us that we would speak words of truth, words of encouragement, words intended to build one another up. And Lord, we uh, ask now, uh, even for Pastor Thomas and Miss Lawanda, as they are away, we pray that you would bless their time. We pray that you would give them a time of refreshment and encouragement in this season of life. We thank you for Pastor Thomas and how he continues to labor here in our midst, preaching the word week in and week out, caring for the souls of the believers in this church in many ways then can be mentioned. And we pray, Lord, that you would sustain him, that you would fill his cup up, that he might find refreshment from from you alone, Lord, and you may sustain him in the ministry, that you may keep him going till the end, that we may say that he has finished the good fight. We pray that you would continue to bless this church and those who labor here, we, we think of our deacons and how they serve us. We pray that you would be with each one of them, that you would strengthen them and enable them to serve this congregation. Bless their families too, Lord, as they serve both their families and the church in a sacrificial way. Our God and our Father in heaven, we also remember Miss Wynne and we ask that you would continue to be with her in our health. We pray that you would give her strength and healing and recovery. Think of many others in our midst who are unwell and even in this season with blues and RSV and COVID and other diseases that are making the rounds. We pray for protection. We pray for those who have succumbed already to the illnesses, that you would strengthen them and help them to get better. We pray for your protection over each one of us here. Even in the festive season, we know, Lord, that there's, the roads become that much more dangerous. We pray that you would keep us safe as we travel to and fro. That even in this time, as we may celebrate, we may not lose what the focus of this season is. As we, as we celebrate the Savior's birth, as we reflect upon the greatness of this moment in history, we pray that we would not get distracted by all the noise and all the busyness that the world has around us, but that we would fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. And Lord, as we turn now to your word, we come to your word expectant. We come expectant to meet with you. We come expectant to hear words of encouragement and words of building us up and words of conviction. We pray that you would open our hearts we pray that you'd open our ears, that we may receive your word and not only receive it and not only hear it, but that you would help us to be doers of your word. And just as we we read in the scriptures that your word is is sharper than any two-edged sword, it is able to pierce to the deepest of our being. And so this morning, Lord, as we come to your word, we ask that you would pierce our hearts, that you would convict us, that you would help us to turn back to you and that we would cherish you above all things. Pray that we would leave this place with a worshipful attitude, having seen our Savior in the Scriptures. Pray that you would give me strength and clarity of speech and mind, even as I proclaim your word. For we pray and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would turn with me to Hebrews and chapter 4. It's truly a privilege to be bringing God's word this morning and to be a part of this series uh, as we have been reflecting particularly on the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Uh, I think even this morning as we were in Sunday school, I was reminded again as, as Seth was teaching Sunday school uh, what a great responsibility it is to stand up here and, and say, that says the Lord, to declare the word of God. And so I do this with much fear and trembling, realizing that we are handling Holy things. We're speaking of our Savior. And so, my hope and prayer this morning is even as we reflect on this subject uh, in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, as we think about Jesus Christ as our great high priest, that we would leave this place with a greater appreciation of who Jesus Christ is, who He is as our great high priest. And that having seen this, we would be encouraged, we would be strengthened to do what he has called us to do, that we would cling to our Savior, Jesus Christ, and we would continue to persevere. But if you are here today and you do not know Jesus Christ, my hope and prayer is that your eyes would be opened, the scales would fall off, and you would see with the eyes of faith this day what a great Savior the Scriptures declare to us. And so I will read from Hebrews chapter 4, uh, verses 14, all the way through chapter 5. And, and verse 10, and, and before we do that, just a few words of background about the letter uh, to the Hebrews as, as we find it here. As we come to this letter, we, 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 we know that the author is not uh, explicitly given to us, and if you are hopeful that I would reveal who the author is, well, that's not on my agenda today. I'm uh, content with keeping those things which are hidden hidden, that the things that the Lord has not revealed to us. Uh, not trying to pry into those. So I will, I will stand with that and, and go forward with, uh, with the, the, the author being unknown to us. And yet we know that the divine author is God, and that the reason why it is part of the canon of Scripture is because God himself is the author of Scripture. And so all Scripture is God-breathed. And as we come to this passage of Scripture, as we come to this letter, we have that confidence uh, that God himself is the author we know that this letter was written to a predominantly uh, Jewish audience, uh, Christians who come out of a Jewish background, and so he is writing to these Jewish Christians who are considering abandoning the faith, who are, are wrestling perhaps with persecution and suffering, uh, are considering turning back to their old ways of life, returning back to uh, their Jewish practices uh, of offering sacrifices and and returning back to their old ways, and so. Uh, the author to the Hebrews is writing to encourage the Christians to not abandon their faith. And and the major theme of the letter to the Hebrews is that Christ is superior. Christ is better. Christ is better than Moses. Christ is better than the prophets. He is better than Aaron and Joshua. And that the covenant that he has made and and the blood that he has spilt, that covenant is superior to the old covenant. And this is the argument, this is the theme that we find in the letter to the Hebrews. And it's important to keep that in the back of our minds even as we look at this particular passage of Scripture. So with that background, we can now turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 uh, through chapter 5. This is the word of the Lord. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weaknesses, with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Here ends the reading of God's word. So as we continue in our series uh, on the Advent, as we think about uh, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, this is the third sermon in our series. So far, uh, we have considered the uh, the kingly office of Jesus Christ, the prophetic office of Christ, And today we're going to focus on the priestly office of Christ. We know that Jesus Christ, when he came into this world, in his work of redemption, he carried out these three offices. These three offices are spoken of in the Old Testament, the office of prophet, priest, and king. And so in Jesus Christ, we see that all these three offices that were spoken of in the Old Testament find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Ultimately, all of those offices in the Old Testament pointed forward to a coming Messiah, who is Jesus Christ, in whom all these three offices are united. They are fulfilled, and we see their their final fulfillment in Jesus Christ and in his work. It is interesting to note that as we come to this letter, to the the book of Hebrews, we find the most detailed exposition on Jesus' high priestly office. Uh, Yes, the other parts of the New Testament do speak of this work of a high priest and how Jesus is going to offer up uh, himself as a sacrifice for our sins. That's spoken about throughout the New Testament. But the letter to the Hebrews speaks explicitly of Jesus Christ as our high priest. And as you look at this letter, there are several verses, several chapters dedicated to Jesus' high priestly office. Uh, remember what I said earlier on about the theme of the letter to the Hebrews is to emphasize the superior, superiority of Jesus Christ. And so, as we think about Jesus as the high priest, we want to see that Jesus is superior to the high priests of the Old Testament and that what Jesus Christ has achieved uh, is not matched, is unparalleled in the Old Testament. So, the, prophetic, uh, the, the priestly office in the Old Testament foreshadows what Christ fulfilled in his coming and through his death on the cross. on the cross. In addition to that, as we look at the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, uh, you notice that during his earthly ministry, there's emphasis on his prophetic and kingly office. He speaks the word. Uh, we looked at John chapter one, uh, our brother preached from there, and, and we looked at how the word became flesh. We see throughout Jesus's earthly ministry, how he teaches and he preaches the word. He declares the, the oracles of God, as it were, uh, to the people, to his disciples. Uh, we also see Jesus as the king, as, as his titles uh, shows us, as Christ, as the Messiah. He is God's promised king who has come to deliver his people. But in terms of his high priestly office, it's not explicitly exercised until the cross, where he gives up his life for our sins. He, he atones for our sins at the cross, Uh, We do see him praying for his people. We do see him interceding for his disciples. Uh, For instance, in John chapter 17, we we have the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ. So we do see him praying, but in terms of actually atoning for our sins, we see that explicitly at the cross. And that's something very interesting for us to think about when we consider his priestly office. So having that background, uh, we, we note that, as we come to Jesus Christ, we have in him these three offices that find their fulfillment. And the Old Testament also speaks about this Messiah figure who is going to come. The king who is going to come is also going to be a priestly figure while also being a prophet, a prophet of God. And so if we look at passages in, for example, Psalm 110 or in Zechariah chapter 6, we, we see of this uh, of the order of Melchizedek. And the figure of Melchizedek is very important as we consider the office of the high priest. We have two lines, we have two orders, as it were, of high priests as we look at the, the scriptures. We have what is called the Aaronic or Levitical priesthood and, and those priests who served in the in the tabernacle in the Old Testament, making sacrifices, making offerings for the sins of the people of Israel. But then we have the Melchizedekian line of priests. And we only have uh, Melchizedek who interacts with uh, Abraham that we read about in Genesis. Even looking at Hebrews chapter 7, we have this exposition speaking about uh, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, who was a priest of the Most High God. Uh, This is Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. He met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham appointed a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, King of Righteousness, and then he is also King of Salem, that is, King of Peace. Peace. And so going on in these verses, I won't read the the entire verses there, but we see that the author of Hebrews actually provides a commentary on on, on Genesis where Melchizedek and Abraham have this interaction. And Melchizedek, there's there's no information about his lineage, uh, of his line, but we know that he is a king but yet he's called a priest of God most high. And so we see these two offices uh, represented in Melchizedek and it's significant because under the Mosaic Covenant, the three offices were divided. Those, the offices of prophet, priest, and king. But we have this figure of Melchizedek who points forward to a coming Messiah in whom all three offices of prophet, priest, and king would be terminated, would be found. And so that is interesting. And as we think about even the letter to the Hebrews speaking of Jesus Christ being in the order of Melchizedek, we know that Jesus was born of the tribe of Judah. And so that those that come from the tribe of Judah are not, uh, are not to serve as priests. They are not from the tribe of Levi where the priests uh, who served under, under the Aaronic line fell under. So Jesus Christ is of a, of a different line of priests. He's a royal priest. If we look at uh, Exodus 19, as God brought the Israelites out of um, Egypt and he, he meets with them there at Sinai and he says to them in Exodus 19, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And even there, this promise is made to Israel, but we know that they failed uh, to, to attain to God's promises. They sinned against God right there uh, at Sinai by, by building the golden calf but it looks forward to what we would see in Jesus Christ. And and us as believers, we have in union with Christ, we are called a royal priesthood as well. So as we now make our way through our passage, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, uh, it is my hope that we'll see today that because Jesus is our high priest, we must keep the faith and come boldly to God. Because Jesus is our high priest, We must keep the faith and come boldly to God. So the first thing I want to do is for us to just reflect upon the greatness of our high priest. Why is it that Jesus is called our great high priest? And and just look at both the Old Testament, how it speaks about the priestly office, and then see how Jesus Christ, his priestly office, is far superior to what we find in the Old Testament. And so when we look at the the priests in the Old Testament, we we see that they have three qualifications, and these are given to us uh, right here in chapter 5 of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5, for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So we see that a high priest is one who is chosen from among men. He must be a man. And he is chosen, we see there, to represent, uh, to represent the people to God. And that gets into the function, which we'll look at in more detail. But we also read about how a high priest must suffer, going down to verse 2. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Similarly, chapter 2, verses 17 through 18, uh, they read, Therefore, this is speaking of the, the priest, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And so this is speaking about Jesus Christ, but we see that there is a necessity of the high priest have, have suffered, to have sins of himself in order for him to be merciful. And so how is a high priest to be a merciful high priest? It's because he is chosen from among men and he himself is of weakness. He has his own sins. And as we, looked at, as we look at the Old Testament and the tabernacle rituals, we see that the, the high priest had to atone for his own sins before he could come and atone for the sins of the people. Before he could come into the Holy of Holies, only once in a year, he first of all had to atone for his own sins. And that enabled him to be merciful to the other people of Israel. But we also notice the third thing about this high priest is that in verse 4, no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God. That's Hebrews chapter 5, verse 4. He must be called by God. And so the office of high priest is one that, requires God to set these people apart. And we saw that with Aaron, as we see here in verse 4. Aaron was called of God to serve as high priest, and all those who are called, uh, subsequently, are called of God to serve as high priests. So those are the qualifications, the three qualifications that we see of high priests. But then when we come to the functions, we've already looked at the first, is that he must act on behalf of the people Uh, to represent the people before God, as we read in verse uh, 1 of chapter 5. Now, the need for a priest shows us and reminds us of our own sinfulness, just as it did the Israelites. The the reason there is a need for a priest is because of the fall. Because uh, we have sinned, we have sinned against a holy God, we need a mediator who must go before us, who must go and represent us. And when you think about mediation, we know that even in our present times, when you, when you have to appoint a mediator, that is because there is tension between the two parties. Mediation takes place because there is tension between these two parties. And so too with a high priest. Uh, there was, there's tension between God and man. We have sinned against a holy God. Uh, we, we, we deserve the judgment, the anger and judgment of God. And so we need a mediator who goes before God to intercede for us. And in the case of the high priest, to offer sacrifices. That's the second function. He offers gifts and sacrifices on behalf of men for their sins. Uh, The high priest would offer sacrifices once a year by going into the Holy of Holies, making sacrifices for the sins of the people and atoning for the sins of the people. But we know that the, the work that the high priest did was only representative that the the blood of the bulls and goats was not able to save, but it was by faith alone. And we see that in Hebrews chapter 11, that all these great men and women of the faith were saved by faith. They were saved by faith, and the the blood of Christ is is applied to them uh, retrospectively, in a sense. Though he was going to die at a future point in history, they exercised faith in God. They exercised faith in a coming Redeemer, And so they were counted righteous. And so then looking at the third uh, function that the high priest had was, as I said, to enter into the Holy of Holies. No man could enter into the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest, after making atonement for his own sins, could enter into this place. But we know that he could only do this once a year. So that's a little bit of the background when you think about the priestly office in the Old Testament. That just helps us to think about who the high priest ought to be, but also what was his function as he represented the people and what necessitated this office uh, in the first place is a result of the fall. So then we must now come and consider Jesus Christ, our great high priest, and think about why his priestly office is far greater than what we see here in the Old Testament. And remember, that is the theme that we must see, that his priestly office is far superior to that of the Old Testament. So when we come to verse four, uh, verse 14 in chapter 4, we, we note that the author says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. We have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, and this is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, What is interesting here is that we have a Savior who hasn't just entered into the earthly holy of holies where God was sent to dwell at the mercy seat. But we have a Savior who, after he was crucified on the cross, he was buried, and on the third day he rose again. And then after appearing to his disciples, we read that he ascended on high to the Father's right hand. That is where Jesus Christ is interceding for us as our great high priest. It is not in an earthly tabernacle that he has gone to represent us, but he has gone right before the Father in heaven. And so his place of intercession, as we read in Revelation chapter 5, Revelation chapter 5, is at the throne of God. This is where he intercedes for us and he continually intercedes for us. As we read in chapter 9 of Hebrews, chapter 9 and verse 24, for Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. So why is Jesus Christ better? Well, firstly, because he has gone into the presence of God the Father, He has ascended on high into heaven. And it's interesting here that we've seen several months ago now, but in our Exodus series, we read about how when the tabernacle was completed, we had the cloud that came down on the tabernacle. But now we have here in Hebrews, we read about Jesus Christ, who when he ascended, he went up to the Father. He ascended to the Father where he represents us, where he, after having atoned for our sins, He has entered into the presence of God. But notice again, if we come back to verse 14, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, we read that this high priest who has passed through heavens is none other than Jesus Christ himself, Jesus, the Son of God. And this is very significant when we think about the high priest as being the Son of God himself. Going back to our sermon that Brad preached for us from John chapter 1, we read that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We have the eternal Son of God who descended from heaven, from his throne in heaven, down to earth. He condescended and lived on this earth. He humbled himself to the point of death on the cross. But even in his earthly life, he was born in a manger. He lived among us. He, thirst, he had to thirst. He had to hunger. He had to feel tired. He had to uh, be disappointed by his companions. He had to be betrayed by, by Judas. This is our great high priest who came down from heaven. But thinking about his identity as the son of God, he has come down from heaven. He has lived on this earth. He has given up his life as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice for our sins at the cross. And he has ascended on high to the Father's side, showing us that his sacrifice was acceptable to the Father. So after he said it is finished, after he was buried, he rose again and he went to the Father's side. And it is significant because when we think about the earthly high priests, they entered into the Holy of Holies once a year. But the other thing we know about high priests is that they had to die. They served in this office until the point when they died or until they had to be removed. And so they were replaced. But our great high priest, Jesus Christ, has ascended to the throne of God the Father and there he remains eternally. He does not have to go in and out. He is there daily interceding for the saints, pleading for the sinner who places their faith in him. And so how do how is this priesthood greater because he as the son of God is at his home with the father in heaven interceding for us But we also see that this great high priest in verse 15 is one who sympathizes with us verse 15 puts it negatively first of all we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. We have a high priest who not only is the son of God, who not only came down and, and lived in this world and, and paid sacrifice for our sins, but we have a high priest who sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. And this, this highlights, as we have already mentioned, this highlights the, the, the fact that Jesus Christ was fully man, the human nature of Jesus Christ. We know that Jesus has two natures in his incarnation. He is fully God and he is fully man. And so if the first points that we have looked at emphasize Jesus' divinity as he came into this world and his sacrifice on the cross was acceptable because he is a sinless savior... Because the sinless Savior's Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. The importance of us having a sinless Savior is, is, cannot be emphasized enough. And this helps us to reflect on why Jesus had to be fully man and he had to be fully God in order for our salvation to be purchased. And as we already read, as Seth read for us from Isaiah chapter 53, we read about how we have a high priest who has suffered in our place. We think about the suffering of Christ on the cross, but we also think about how he has borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrows. We considered him stricken, smitten by men. we read that there was no beauty in him that drew people to himself. This was our Savior. And as we think about the earthly ministry of Christ, he had many people who followed him for miracles, but when finally he was crucified, when he was arrested, all his disciples abandoned him. The crowds who earlier had said, Hosanna, Hosanna are the same people saying, crucify him. Do you feel alone? Do you feel abandoned? Know that you have a Savior who sympathizes with you. You have never been abandoned the way Christ was. You have never been forsaken by the Father as our Savior has. We have a great high priest who sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. But we also see that not only does he sympathize with us, that he was tempted as we are, he was tempted in every way. And as we think about the wilderness temptation, it's representative of Jesus' temptations throughout his, his life. He was tempted by the devil. He, he, he tempted him several times, telling him to abandon his God and his Father and to settle for what he had to offer. But every time Jesus Christ stood the test, he resisted the devil and he fled from him. What a contrast this is to Adam and Eve in the garden, who when they were tempted, gave in to temptation. And so if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You are no longer in Adam You no longer have to give in to those temptations because you have a high priest who has been tempted in every way and yet he was without sin. And so too when you face temptations, as we read in chapter 2 verse 18, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. I don't know what temptations you are going through right now or during this season of your life, but flee from the devil. Do not play with sin, for the wages of sin is death. Flee from your sin, flee to your Savior. Look to Him. We have a high priest who was tempted in every way, and yet He did not cave in to those sins. He has made a way for you in the face of temptations. Look to Jesus. He will deliver you from that moment of temptation, from that hour of temptation. Do not play with sin, brothers and sisters. So we see that not only was Jesus tempted, but here is but we need to hear he was without sin. He was tempted in every way, every possible way, and yet he never sinned against his Father in heaven. So when we think about his sacrifice on the cross, we we have confidence that he has paid it all. His sacrifice was acceptable because he lived this sinless life. He was the Son of God who never gave in to sin. He was fully man. He's aware of our infirmities. He walked our paths. But he suffered far more greatly than we will ever suffer. So we need to think, even as we'll, we'll come back to this point later on, but... Think about what Jesus suffered for you and me and how often we neglect what we have in Christ. How often do we try to save ourselves? How often do we look for grace in other places and mercy in other places and attention and affection and love in other places? And yet we have a glorious Savior who empathizes with us. Do you feel like nobody sees you? Are you hungry for attention and affirmation? You don't need affirmation anywhere else. You have a Savior who sees you, who understands. We think of those teenagers, and and teenagers go through this phase. How often do we hear those cries to their parents, But you don't understand. He does understand. Jesus understands. But here's something even more glorious. Jesus, who is our great high priest, is also the Lamb of God who has been slain. In the Old Testament, as we have already looked at, the high priest had to make offerings for his own sin. He had to shed the the blood of goats and bulls. But not so with Jesus Christ. He sacrificed himself on the cross. It is through his wounds that we are healed. It is through his blood. that we have been reconciled to God the Father. So we read in chapter 7, verse 26. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weaknesses as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. So we read in Revelation chapter 5, Verses 9 through 10. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Jesus Christ offered the sacrifice for our sins once and for all, it is finished. There is no longer any need for another sacrifice to be made for our sins. This is the great high priest we have in Christ. Even if the high priest of the Old Testament had died for our sins, for the sins of the people, it would not have made propitiation for our sins. It would not have atoned for our sins because they too were sinners. But the blood of Christ is enough, it is sufficient to cleanse us. And though our sins were like crimson, He has washed us white as snow. I wonder if you are here today hearing this message, listening to this great salvation as a spectator, as someone at a ball game watching all the action and yet you're on the sidelines. Why will you neglect so great a salvation? There is mercy and grace at the throne of God. Your sins have been paid for. Come and drink from the living water. Having considered our great high priest, let us come in the second place and in final to consider our appropriate response. If we have this great high priest, how should we respond? We have two two responses that our verses tell us about. Verse 14, let us hold fast our confession. Let us hold fast our confession. If We look at chapter 10 and verse 23 as well. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he has promised for he who has promised is faithful. And so here is the encouragement to Christians to those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ to those who have walked with Jesus all the years to keep on to hold fast your confession do not waver do not cave in Do not buy into the ideologies and philosophies of this world. Do not buy into any other gospel. For as the Apostle Paul says, there is no other gospel. There is one gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do not become lukewarm. Do not become weary in this world. For you have a great high priest in Jesus Christ. But one of the other major themes in this letter is the theme of apostasy. And this is a serious warning. When we think about apostasy, sometimes our, it might boggle our minds because on one end we have the doctrine of election and the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. And yet, as we see in this letter, the author to the Hebrews speaks very strongly about apostasy. Apostasy. And so what is apostasy? We can look at someone like Judas as a good example. Someone who walked with Jesus. Someone who was sent out to do miracles for Jesus. Someone who the other disciples, though they had doubts about him, thought was one of them. Think about it. At the Lord's Supper, when Jesus said, one of you will betray me. Were all the disciples saying, yeah, we know it's Judas. He's never really been right. They were all thinking, is it me? So here's the serious warning about those who may have been in the church, who may have even been baptized, who have all the walk and all the talk of the Christian faith. And yet, if you are not careful, if you don't pay attention to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, then you must be warned. It is not that you can lose your salvation. It is just that we should not take the things of our faith casually. We must not be lukewarm. We must not be casual and, uh, and passive in our Christian faith, but we must contend as those competing in a race for a crown, we must work out. The language in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 is very strong. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. And so if you are someone who has just been casual about the Christian faith, if someone asks you, say you're a Christian, but your life does not reflect that, Here is a moment for you to reflect on your own confession. Who is it that you have believed in? What is the profession of faith that you have made? And are you living that faith out? We do not want to take this warning lightly. For even Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 verse 21 to verse 22 says, That many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evil doers. May that never be said to any of us. But the second exhortation we find here in verse 16, chapter 4 let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us then, with confidence, brothers and sisters, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Because we have a great high priest, come and receive mercy. As I alluded to earlier on, you do not need to atone for your own sins. You have a Savior who has already paid the price for your sins. Perfectly. And finally, it is finished, he said. And so there is no longer need for you to keep trying to earn your salvation. Trust in Jesus. Have you fallen into sin? Have you lost your temper with your children or your wife or your husband? Have you looked at inappropriate images on the internet? Come. Come to the throne and find mercy. Repent and believe. Are you struggling to obey what the Lord has commanded you? Are you struggling to live lives of obedience to his word? There is grace for you. You do not need to do it in your own strength. Yes, the warning stands, do not be slothful but do not depend on your own strength for his grace is sufficient for you and his power is made strong in your weakness. So again, back to the sinner. If you hear the voice today of the Lord, do not harden Your heart. Do not harden your hearts. For as we read in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. We will be held accountable. You will be held accountable if you have heard his word and yet you have not obeyed, if you have not repented and turned to him. Today is the day of salvation. And so as I started, and I want to end on this note, is that... We would see that Jesus Christ is superior. He is superior to the high priests of the Old Testament. His offering at the cross is superior to any atonement the Old Testament priests made. So may we worship this risen Savior who atones for us. May we reflect on the significance of the Incarnation, even in this season, why it was necessary. That he who knew no sin was made sin for us. Why did he have to come and live in this world though he was a king of kings and lord of lords? Let us remember the words of the hymn that before the throne of God above I have a strong and perfectly a great high priest whose name is love Whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands, my name is written on his hearts. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. Let's pray. Our great God and Father in heaven, we speak of heavenly mysteries and glories that have been declared to us, the things that you, by your grace, have declared to us and made known to us. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who came into this world and who lived among us and died on the cross for us and is now interceding for us. What a great hope we have. What great confidence we we have because we have a great high priest. May you impress upon each one of us the glory of the Son this season. We pray and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.